0: Welcome to Psyched for Business, helping business leaders understand and apply cutting-edge business psychology principles in the workplace. Hi, and welcome to Psyched for Business. I'm Richard Anderson. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I'm joined by Richard Wood from The Ready. Richard is a business psychologist and organizational development and transformation consultant. In this episode, Richard outlines how progressive organizations have a very unique way of working and he talks through some of the steps that can be taken to modernize the workplace in 2023. Thanks for listening. Richard Wood, welcome to Psych for Business. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to be chatting to you, Richard. Great to be chatting to you too. And obviously, business psychologist, organizational development and leadership consultant, I know that you do some great work. You've been living abroad for a few years, but I'll let you give your own intro. And I think, you know, as far as this podcast is concerned, I think we've got a really interesting topic and you've got a really unique and interesting approach to how you support individuals and organizations to to become better places and and better individuals at their job and i know that you've got a very unique question that you ask and we can get into the ins and outs of that throughout this podcast but if you'd be happy to maybe give a little bit of background first richard if you tell us kind of who you are and, and, and what you do
1: i'll try to keep it brief so we can get into the the juicy stuff yeah so richard wood is a business psychologist Psychology through my life, from A-levels to university to my my post-grad quite a few years later, especially focused on occupational or organizational psychology, like the psychology of work and business and how people show up inside the organizations where they spend a lot of their life. That's where I am now. But a lot of my journey work-wise happened in China. I was in China for 14 years, coming back in 2020, back to the UK and that was fun i did a lot of stuff in education teaching english teaching international college programs and then moved into consulting when i found my kind of passion of leadership organizational culture employee engagement and psychometrics and, and that type of thing and then continued in that individual development place like management development leadership development those types of things before finding a new area of born out of frustration with like how things are Looking at how things could be, I looked at the future of work, new ways of working, different ways of organizing. And then that led, has led me to where I am today at the ready and doing consulting for different companies on how, how they can work better and how to evolve and make progress as, as an organization as a whole. So focus on the organization now and less
0: on the individual. Fantastic. And how different was it working across in China to over here?
1: massively different and i've the question slightly differently like how different is it working in the uk to working in china because most of my career is there like a third of, of my life has been there and most yeah. of the, the previous years here was when i was a, a child so that don't really count everyone emphasizes the the differences obviously language and culture and all of the the visible things but there's a lot of similarities when you start talking about work you know this this hierarchy and there's internal politics, The communications, how they show up is different, but the, the themes are really, really similar. Saying that, you know, China was a big challenge to learn how to operate inside a new environment, not just the, the language, but how things work is, is really different. And I've had the reverse culture shock coming back here where the pace is, is slower in getting things done in some ways, but also it's less chaotic and sometimes more, more predictable, which is, uh, has its benefits. So you might, might take longer, but you're getting exactly what it says on the tin.
0: Yes, of course. I guess in future, it might open up additional working opportunities across both nations as well. And obviously, you'll be fluent, no doubt, in Mandarin.
1: Yeah, I am. And that's something I worked at as a a way to become an an independent functioning human inside that environment. So I didn't have to rely on other people to help me do things. Yeah. Plus using it as a working language once I got to a, a certain level. I learned on the street, in a taxi, in the restaurant, but also I did some formal learning as well as a you know, as a foreigner in a, a Chinese university education program. So felt that as well, which gets you into the culture as well, because it's the Chinese style of education.
0: What was the most useful, just out of interest? Because I'm not, I mean, I've, I, I had an okay level of French. I did that to A level, a very, very basic level of Spanish, but I'm by no means. I mean, I couldn't barely hold my own in, in conversations, but I would imagine the informal conversations would be almost as useful as the formal stuff. Is that fair? Uh, it is fair, because that's what you're doing day to
1: day, like going to the shop to find something in the supermarket, or asking directions, and just having a chat, getting to know someone is is always the first step. So building relationships needs chit chat or casual conversation. I think that is the key. If you you can be really good at the professional stuff, but no one wants to talk to you because you haven't connected, then you're not winning. You're going to lose. You're going to lose out on that one. Also, they're very forgiving. Uh, the Chinese right. people are very forgiving. I'm sure, a foreigner speaking the language, it's it's kind of a surprise, a shock, also a really pleasant experience. Like, oh wow someone has made the effort to oh, I mean yeah, if you say yeah. He- yeah if you say hello thank you people are like wow you speak Chinese is so good you can actually string a sentence together or a paragraph or do a speech or a, a training session
0: it's so often the other way around because obviously they say English is the international language and the the business language and, and everybody you you know uses English but uh but yes that's why I, I'm always in awe of anybody who can who can speak other languages fluently as I am with people who speak English when they natively speak other languages so Brilliant. So getting back to the kind of the juicy part of the podcast, to talking about organizations and, and how they work, how they operate. And you mentioned something before, and I made a quick note of it. So how things are at the minute versus how things could be. And I know that you've done a lot of work, around kind of how organizations are set up traditionally and historically versus how they could be set up in the future so tell me a little bit more about about that how you look at organizations and how they how things could be within
1: organizations there's so much here if you look at some of the historical reasons why the organizations are like they are it it can be quite troubling Mm. look at workers don't get to make decisions because they weren't considered to be smart enough to make decisions they just get told what to do and that's the, the birth of management almost like we will tell you how to do this manufacturing process because we designed it the way we think can be done better and you just learn that and repeat it hmm. and it takes away the autonomy and the agency from the the individual so if you look at that from a manufacturing point of view and then that gets replicated inside what we call, now call knowledge work the same thing that you need to do this process do it this way because of compliance because of quality control and it takes away innovation it takes away the chance for new possibilities and ways to make things easier so there's a lot of load inside cognitive load inside people's work that is not actually the work it's thinking about all of the things that are constraining or holding back or guiding the work which isn't necessarily what grown-up adults need they just like a space to be able to work and know where they're going and, and what they're supposed to be doing they run free you know they can they can they can figure things out and maybe find new ways or better ways or that's the the basis of it. Also, when we do a presentation at the ready, we have one slide and it's uh, what's this? And it's an organizational chart, you know, organogram. And you've got the, the little boxes and the lines going down and down and more and more boxes as you go further down. And ask the question, when is that from? When is this picture from? And people, like, I oh, have a guess. Like, you can't see
0: it, but you can picture it in your mind. I can imagine it. I'm going to say it was quite a while ago. I, I, I wouldn't like to guess, but yeah, 50 years, maybe 60 years. But it's uh, the one that's showing is like
1: 100 years. Well, probably okay. uh, 110, over yeah. 110 years now. And what's the difference for one for 2022? Pretty much nothing. Yeah. Everything else we've done has changed in those 110 years. We communicate how we travel, how we live, or the devices we have. But if we still organize or represent our organization in exactly the same way, something's amiss. The society has changed. Cultures have changed. Technology has changed. All kinds of things have changed because of, of the interdependencies between those different things. I think why is it kind of impossible for me that, that the organizations haven't evolved at the same, in the same way at the same rate.
0: Yeah, and, and we just accept that it's the way that things are. It's just the way that an organization is set up. And I guess that, that's probably for anybody who wanted to start a new business tomorrow, they would probably follow that structure of that diagram that we were talking about, yeah. Exactly. So you
1: look at some people say that I'm, I'm a startup. And that's great because you don't have Hmm. all of the baggage of a hundred thousand people um, organization, all of the bureaucracy and all of the layers that come with it. But if you take the same approach, it has the same problems. It just might not kind of manifest themselves immediately because if you've only got three people, it's hard to have a big hierarchy, but it's still there. The foundations are still there. So if you kind of, if you look at start as you mean to go on, it's easier to design well at the beginning than it is to try and change a company when it gets, when it gets really, really big.
0: And I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Richard, but I would imagine a lot of it's knowledge. I mean, I started, we could even talk about my company if it would be useful, but we're a small outfit, we have seven staff, and I guess we would loosely follow that broad organizational structure of which however many thousands of other companies do already. But but for me, it's maybe a knowledge piece as well. So what are the alternative ways of looking at how I can structure my organization and, and I guess what would the questions be that you would go into an organization and ask people to, in order for them to help change or, or maybe look at how that's set up? The first thing is
1: it's not the chart necessarily that is the problem. If it's like this is the structure of where things are, there's a, there's a certain value to that because at least it's, it's written down, it's visible, people can refer to it. Mm. If you believe that that is how information flows and how work gets done, that's quite different. Mm because the value flow from department to department is not is not shown there how the work gets done is not shown in an organizational chart so that's just where people sit or you know who's reporting to whom in a in a chain of command's type of approach which has a certain value but if it's the only way you look at it it's the only lens you have then then it's more problematic so that's part one is a kind of disclaimer to i there's nothing inherently wrong with that unless you uh, yeah yeah yeah. no 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 you you did and that's what happens inside the organization oh we can't do this because it's in that box not my box and like that's only because there's a box yeah why do these things have to go into do separate boxes so you know you're familiar with with silos if if you create a silo then a silo is, is there if you break that down or work across silos. so one of the things we do inside the ready and there's other approaches to this so there's holocracy and so sociocracy it's based on on circles it's just a change of shape maybe but also it, it's not because there's distributed authority inside a, a circle and it's not layered upon layer there might be a an overarching circle that includes the heads of all of the different circles for making the organizational wide decision so like the head of the head of the hiring circle, the head of the training circle, the head of yeah. the psychometric circle all come together inside the, the master circle, so to speak, the super circle. And it's a different way of organizing because there's more equality of the distribution of power and people are close to the decisions that affect them. And it's very clear line between what they can and can't decide what they are or aren't responsible for or accountable for. So it's we, we have this authority, and like we, we have this amount of money that we can spend as this circle. If we need more, we have to go one step further up and you can be on multiple circles because you can have multiple roles. So there's just more dynamism about it. and you know imagine a, when everyone's at the round knights of the round table, if you're if equal you're looking at each other. there's no one that's necessarily at the head. Someone is the head of the circle, but doesn't necessarily mean they're the person with all of the power. They might have certain rights that are afforded to them because they have been elected into that role, but they can also be deselected from that role and somebody else can be nominated. So it's much more dynamic where the role is not your job. The role is one of many roles that you have. Yes, You feel as needed by the organization or how the team or the circle believe you're still serving the purpose of that group. If that changes, you can change the person. So it's it's much less fixed, more agile, more nimble, more flexible, whichever word you would like to use. And... Maybe that's hard to imagine, but it can work and it takes a lot of effort to change from one to other or to start like that at the beginning. Yeah,
0: I can imagine it would. And just trying to visualize and, and kind of picture those circles as you're talking now, I think the fact that there's more dynamism, the fact that it's more agile, I guess one of the things that I was thinking about as you were speaking there is quiet quitting, which is this uh, obviously popular term that we we all hear about. I guess you're if you've got silos and you've got a very rigid, structure to your day and this is what you do and nothing else you're more likely to probably experience or quiet quitting maybe if people have got more responsibilities or more dynamism or the ability to work across multiple teams or have different roles of responsibilities across the organization there's maybe more buy-in to the organization from its staff is that is that something that you found have you found that people become more engaged employee engagement increases for things like that
1: i think that's right because partially there's the choice you can choose to a certain degree where you would like to go, which circles you'd like to be, what role you would like to take inside a circle, or whichever structure you you have. And sometimes you be involved in the co-creation of defining what that role is, what what is its purpose, what are the accountabilities, what decision rights does this role have? And once you've decided to it and everyone has consented to it, then if you there's also built into that like, if you don't do it, you how how you will, you will be held uh, accountable, and it's not about how many hours you've done or what output you've got. It's the the results that or the outcomes that you're looking at on the role level and on the team or the group or the circle level. So once that's been defined together, steering as a, as a group, people do feel more ownership because they literally have that. And it's not if there's a mistake and you fail, you you will be gone. It's like no, it's the collective responsibility of well, how do we? solve that. We didn't hit our targets, therefore, something is getting in the way or we're not doing something we could be. And that's continually have like cycles of learning and evolving how we are doing this so we can better enable us moving in the right direction towards the goals that we've set. So it's, it's, a, ch- it's a change of mindset as well. It's not just our, uh, being uh, engaged, it's also being fully accountable and putting things down so you can enable yourself to continue to be engaged. If you define it yourself and you define it in a way that doesn't inspire you, then you've set yourself up for, for failure. But I mean, who, who would do that? Well, yeah. Are very few people. Some people would, but very few people would do that. We would believe people inherently want to do good work. They're motivated. They, want, they don't want to go to work and not work. Of course, yeah. They choose the wrong place or they've been hired into the wrong position if there's a problem earlier, earlier on in the funnel. But if they've been selected correctly for the, the right kind of role then they want to do the work and they want to do well it because that's how humans well, that's,
0: how it that's how we're wired up of course it is yeah so if you're going into an organization richard and you're speaking to a leadership team or whoever it is that you have these initial conversations with and you're looking at an organization that's maybe done things the traditional or the old school we're talking about that that kind of chart from 100 and odd years ago what are the telltale signs for you when you're speaking to people that would lead you to believe well actually this is we maybe need to modernize this, this organization. A lot of times people are, they're stuck. As in, we've
1: tried all kinds of stuff. We've tried culture change. We've tried training. We've tried a whole host of other consulting interventions and things aren't happening. Or we had, we made some progress and now, and now we are stuck. You know, We had a re- reorganization and we've got a new structure, a okay, core. Cool. And so you've got the what, have you got the, the how? if you're, you're stuck and talking about people aren't doing this, uh, they aren't doing that, if you're blaming the people, well, that's interesting because people can only do what the the system or the you know the environment allows them to do. If you, yeah. if you allow them to not do anything, then that is something that will happen. Wow. If you have a place that nourishes them and, and they can find the, the way to do the work in a easier way to get better results, then that will also happen. So we talk about the, the fish and the aquarium. So, if you blame the fish for what's happening in the aquarium, it's like, well, if it's a round aquarium, you can only swim in a circle. You know, yeah. if it change the shape, then people can swim slightly differently. So, if you even if you take the fish out to learn something new and they come back, they can still only swim round and round and round in a yeah. circle. So, you have to look at both of them. If you want a massive change, then you need to change the environment, change the aquarium, change the system, change where people are actually doing the work.
0: Yeah. Because when I was doing a little bit of reading and um, before this podcast, it was. But as part of the article, it said, you know, leaders might blame members of staff. The staff might say we've got the wrong leaders in place. But if we're not going to change fundamentally the the system itself, then this is going to go on in perpetuity.
1: Yeah, and the and blame is, is is a difficult one. It's a it's easy to get into the the blame game, but saying like people are lazy, they just don't do it, is it's visible. Someone's not doing it. That, that you can't probably deny that. But the reason why and the root cause are really sometimes difficult to identify. What is actually causing Richard to not hit his sales targets? Is he rubbish at sales? <laughs> or is our product rubbish? Or are our prices wrong? It's like possibly none of those things. It might not be so, so tangible. Maybe yeah. something completely different they're spending 25 hours a week filling out a spreadsheet to report to somebody who doesn't read a spreadsheet about how many hours he spent yeah. talking to clients like it could be that it's like well why yeah. why are you selling more cuz i spend too much time yeah. filling out stuff about sales when i'm not when i should actually be out selling and it's like ah oh, okay that makes sense why don't we stop doing that okay let's stop doing that <laughs> oh you sell more okay it's sim- very simple to say but it's hard to break down some of the the processes that are already there
0: yeah, of course, and that was a brilliant example that you said about sending the spreadsheet somebody is not going to read it, because we've all seen and heard of these things happening in, in organizations, but one of the things that really gets me is so many meetings, and meetings about meetings, and meetings about a meeting about a meeting, and I would imagine that, you know, I've seen that happen in small businesses, I would imagine it happens a lot in larger businesses, I mean, if you tally up all the times that, all the time that it takes to have all of these Wasted meetings. Let, let let's put it. I mean, if you start to quantify that, and think how much money that's going to cost longer term. I mean, I would imagine that's crazy. Yeah. And you pull on
1: meetings. It's a, it's a good one. It's a lot of where we start when we have an intervention with a client because it's when people get together. It's also there's too many meetings, the, the wrong type of meetings, the wrong people at the meetings, meetings to prepare for meetings, all of these things, uh, and also if you've got an executive team, or all, all of the people are on. X hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and you got 20 of them in a room for two hours a week. Uh, that, that's been really, really expensive, if, especially if it creates no, no value. So I, one of my pet hates on a personal level is the Monday morning update meeting. Like, well, what have yeah. you got to update? You've just come back from the weekend. Yeah. So you want to hash up what happened last week. Who are you updating for? Why does it have to be a meeting? Is there a better question? Is there a better time for that meeting? I mean, I wouldn't put it on Friday afternoon either. Let's uh, just find a, a time or even do we, does it even need to be uh, a meeting? Could it be done using modern technology or something else? So I, I think the Monday morning meeting can be a killer. I mean, there's, there's always exceptions that it could be a well-designed meeting on a yeah, Monday course. at nine o'clock just because that's the only time people have they, they then do that, but not just to satisfy the boss's curiosity that everyone has been busy uh, last week. Get, expect them to remember what they've done last week on, on the Monday morning before they've had their first cup of coffee.
0: And then it becomes habitual and everybody's doing it every single Monday and nobody wants to be there and nobody's really listening to anybody else's update. They're just getting <laughs> up, waiting for the chance, all of that. So sort of, that's me being cynical, Richard. I'm sure it doesn't always happen like that. But there's all of those things to, to probably to that. So again, if, you, if you're talking about these things on an organisational level and you're trying to dig deep, when you go into an organisation to find out what are the barriers and why do we feel stuck how do you go about doing it do you you speak to individual contributors and leadership teams how does that how does that work well don't try to do the same thing for
1: every single member of the organization at the same time it's too big Mm. and you won't get anywhere that would be the the take but also on an individual level possibly too small so like the a team would be like the unit and maybe engage in multiple teams depending on the the scope of, of the work and keep it Small, so and and safe. You know, if you've got eight people, twelve people, if they do something slightly different in an organisation of several hundred, several thousand, tens of thousands, then it might not even be a blip on the radar, but it could be the place where momentum starts. So start small, get people doing different things, and then from that team A, who do they work with most closely, like teams B, C, D, and then they kind of you grow it out there, and see people like, oh, you seem to be getting good results. What are you doing, or oh, your team seem to be. Happy and productive, like what are you doing differently? And just kind of pique the interest of the people around you. Like, well, you seem everyone's different, you don't yeah. seem to be doing all of that kind of supervisory management stuff. You seem to be doing lots of enabling things, like how does that work? And just as just a natural, sometimes as an organic way of, of that uh, progressing, sometimes you kind of need to be saying, like, are oh, you work with IT a lot, let's go and discuss how you can work better with IT because. Yeah. It's not there yet. Sometimes you have to be really explicit. Let's, let's do that because there's an interface there that is struggling and everyone's frustrated. So let's get it all out on the table. Like, why are we frustrated? Oh, because of this and that. All right, let's find a way to overcome that and see what see what works. And if it works, then we go to the next thing. If it doesn't, we we try something else.
0: Is that about having an open forum where people can speak very candidly and very openly about some of the challenges that they come across in the workplace because one of the things that we do a lot of as you would imagine is 360 feedback and part of 360 feedback is that there's a prerequisite that certain parts of it have an element of anonymity there so you know you can feed back on your manager but you don't necessarily want the manager to know who those individuals are how do you kind of navigate that part of the process
1: yeah that's a really good question and there's no right answer here because it'd be well, well start where they are if the team are in that that area and Mm. that mindset, that that psychological status where they don't feel that they can be totally open, Yeah, then you could go with some anonymity of, well, you know, ask that question, what's holding you back from doing the best work of your life? And just people know the answer to that. Will they share the answer to that is two different things. People know what annoys them or gets them down, you know, what, you know, some extreme cases, what makes them cry on their way home from work, you know, they they know what is causing that. Yeah. And if you can find a way to get that out onto a set of sticky notes or a shared document where you don't know who's done what and just like, oh, wow, seven people said they feel stressed out about doing the annual budget thing because it's theater. All right, well, that's a signal. Of course, It doesn't necessarily mean it's the answer, but it's a signal. Okay, what's behind that? And then yeah, yeah. you dig into that. So using some of the tools online, like collaboration tools, Mural, for example, is, we use quite a lot inside a Microsoft Word document on, online or Google Doc or something where you don't have to show Who's doing what? You can just get the things down there. And it doesn't have to be done verbally. It doesn't have to be done live or synchronously. You can do it asynchronously, which helps sometimes yeah. with the anonymity because you don't know who went in where. But it, it can really get some of that stuff out. At the same time, you need to build the space and the environment of the group so it's easier to share those things proactively. like At the time when they're happening, not let's wait until the next big intervention or the best big workshop. Is like, well, how can we make it so it's easy to do that? There's no answer to that for, it depends on, on the team, the selection of individuals, exactly what the issue is. But there are probably a selection of approaches that you can do to, to get at that.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So I would imagine one of the things that you'll do, if you're collecting all of this information, you're giving people a forum for feeding back about what's, what they're struggling with or what's holding them back in their roles. You're inevitably going to end up collecting lots of data, whether that's sticky notes, whether it's mural Word docs, whatever. What like? What, what do you do with that data? And how can you go about taking that data and making recommendations as a result of that data?
1: We work with something called the operating system canvas. So people are familiar with operating system on your phone. Same kind of thing, but for organisations. And this is a tool. I'll briefly briefly introduce it. So it includes twelve dimensions or twelve fields of the canvas, which have been found to. Cover well. Progressive organisations do things differently in these twelve areas. Hmm. It's not the only things that that are done differently inside progressive or evolutionary organisations, but it's twelve of the ones where a lot of them are doing things differently. For example, purpose and strategy, workflow, membership, compensation, the, these types of things. Okay. And we might color code it as well. Like, what are we doing well? So it's not just what's what's going wrong. What are we doing well? What are we doing okay? What are we doing not not so well? And, and map it on the canvas. And like, oh look, actually, our meetings are. Mostly yellow, so they're they're okay. But our um, authority is 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 a hell of a lot of red. So mm. we kind of that is a problem. That's like flashing warning flags here. And the, you know you look at not just what the like for example the sticky notes say, but you look at where they land. Like, oh, okay, we have a we have an potentially have an issue here in authority. But it might be that the root cause of that comes from information or strategy because what's showing up as a problem with authority. I don't know how I can make decisions. It might just because you don't have a clue what decisions need to be made, not because you don't have the actually authority to make the decision. It's just that the strategy is lacking clarity. So, or it could be, I don't know if I can make that decision. I understand what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not sure I am allowed to. So you have to kind of dig one layer down into, oh, really, what is that? And this tool, the canvas, is one way of just making sense of it to to organize or structure the, the input as a sense-making tool, what is going on? What does that show us about the, the themes and the underlying root causes of the good things and the not-so-good things about how we, are, how we are working? And then we say, like, would we make recommendations? Yes. But would we also say, okay, what, what can be done about this? Yeah. And that's a hard question at the beginning because of the same thing. I don't know what can be done. Like, just pick something that you think you can't do and let's see if we can just do that or something that you're doing you don't want to do. Can we just stop that? What is a, the smallest thing we can possibly do based on what we've seen? Like, I don't know if I can make a decision. All right. So you can choose not to make the decision, or you can choose to make the decision and see what happens. And if you all agree like, oh, for the next month, we're just going to make the decision we think is right and see if we're still alive at the end of the, at the end of the month. As long as it's not like business critical, it has to be safe. So it's not going to bring down the entire organization, but it's like within a certain boundary or certain constraint. Just make that decision.
0: So it's like experimental things that you would progressively monitor over a period of time, mm-hmm. something you've never done before that you could try and see what the impact is.
1: Exactly. And it's about experimentation. What is the, the, the tension, the, the problem? What is the practice that we could do? So the tension is, I don't know. Whether I can make decisions. Practice could be, all right, either you clarify what your decision rights are, which takes quite a lot of effort, or it could be just try making the decision. And the experiment would be, let's do that for four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks. And then we do a retrospective like, what difference did that make? Did that unblock the work or did that cause more problems? It doesn't mean if it caused more problems, we don't do it. It's like, well, what are the other problems? And what do we do with those and just get, keep on covering in this like the snowball effect it could feel overwhelming it could be like, ah but at least i have a this small piece that i i know that i am trying something with and just to build that sense of autonomy about aha i get this one thing and then there's other things that i will ignore for a bit and then once this has been tested we either go again on the same issue or we go again on a different issue because that one is under control it's good enough
0: yeah yeah And of course, I guess the alternative to not experimenting or not doing these things, whether it's recommendations or experimentation, is that things will remain the same and there'll be no progress next time. Because one of the things I was thinking of, well, how much pushback do you get from organizations to implement new experiments and and those types of things? But I guess, and I'm not deliberately answering my own question here and jumping in, is if, if you've been commissioned to do the work in the first place, then they must be at least open to an element of change. Yes,
1: I may say yes and no is one of my favorite yeah. answers. Like yes, there'll be someone who is like, yeah, we 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 need to try something different. We we understand that, and people are like, yeah, we yeah we're really open to experimentation. And it's like, okay, cool. We really want the team to do experiment. Oh, hang on, you want the team to do experimentation? No, 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 no. Also, you <laughs> like also yeah. you leadership team. You if you don't experiment with giving away some of your power, then you cannot expect other people to suddenly suddenly magic up this extra power that you haven't given up because yeah. you those things are in conflict with e- with each other so it, so kind of that's quite a simple way of, of looking at it but it is it is important that so that's where we come up sometimes like oh no no not not me yeah. them but no no that's number one let's start there like yes you a you collective you is where we're starting and not you versus them that's that probably is one of the dynamics we're trying to we're going to cut down on
0: yeah that makes total sense and you talked before about progressive organizations normally i I know that you didn't use the word adherent to the operating system canvas but but kind of align themselves more to it than than more traditional i'm using the word traditional again you know i'm probably using the wrong terminology but but you know where i'm going with that what makes an organization have the appetite to go from that more traditional old-fashioned model if you like to becoming a progressive model and maybe looking at things like the canvas is it is it productivity? Because you, you give the example before, and it was a really good one when you said that people were felt stuck and they've tried a load of different things and and nothing seems to be working. What's the real kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for for somebody to get in touch and say, look, we, we need some support. Is it is it output? Is it employee engagement? What what kind of causes people to, to engage your services? That's a, a good question with quite a few
1: answers. So I'll give some like broad broad stroke things. As you can imagine, that it could be uh that. Uh, the pulse survey or the yeah, employee huh. engagement survey showing that stress levels are high or workload is too high or people are thinking of quitting so that's that kind of the the people side of things could be a trigger for that could be business outcomes we're trying to achieve something big we've got all these massive targets or uh, objectives that we've been given and the way we are working hasn't done the done the business yet so it's that like we are striving for something business and we need something radical because business as usual is not serving us anymore. Just that realization of, ah, I can't do this by myself. So that'd be a leader of a business unit or a project team or a whole whole organization. Oh, no, that's that's not right. But you've never heard this before. The pandemic had a big impact as well, like because when that happened and everyone started going doing virtual meetings and stuff, it, it brought up quite a lot of opportunity for, oh, well now in London, we're doing all these meetings online. So why don't we just, Include London and Paris and Frankfurt and yeah. even Singapore and like that just becomes the standard. So, but that's a whole new way of working. So, it created opportunity. And also created a whole heap of challenges. So oh, we we thought that was a cool idea to finally do this cross functional or international grouping to get all of these experts together working on a on a team. To spot, I suppose, uh, inspired by Agile or something. But we don't know how to do it. And we need someone to help with the with the ways work. How do we set up the team? How do we run the team? How do we know if it's working? And with that, so a brand new clean slate. That we we know we need to do this, and we don't know how. Just complete helplessness or despair could be the the trigger there, like because of the the, the situation we've been thrown into because of uh, external
0: factors. Of course, and I think that you know, the fact that the pandemic came about and that we completely changed the way in which we work and it brought us forward however many years quicker than than we were expected to, to move forward anyway. It's probably I don't know whether this is true on the whole, but I, I guess a lot of more a lot more people see new ways and innovative ways of working and experimentation as maybe they see it as less risky now than they might have done at one time because they've seen how much things have changed when we've been kind of forced into working in a particular way and how productive a lot of people have become as a result of that.
1: Yeah. And it brings about some of the, I suppose you've already broken the, the traditional model in, in a sense. So if you don't know how it's supposed to be, then you have the opportunity to deliberately and intentionally design how it, how it will be. And if you do that in a more collaborative more human, more people positive way, you know, you believe that people can do it if, if you give them the space, then that will bring something else because you, you you can't look over someone's shoulder when their shoulders are 10, 15 miles away, a hundred miles away. Yeah, so yeah. you have to do, like do, do something else. And you can't just walk up to someone at the coffee machine when it's not there. And then when you go back to the office, you can keep, keep some of those, some of those things like, Oh, we should have a set rhythm of meetings because we, we have these four needs and we mm. kind of mush them together in this terrible meeting. But why don't we have like, the coordination meeting and the, the 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 one where we get stuff done and then the one where we talk about the communication with the rest of the organization. You can have different way of, of thinking and organizing the work means that just build up new hassle and, and muscles and, and habits of, of yeah. and this new way of working and it, it will almost by osmosis just seep into the the ways of working no matter where it yeah. started. So if it started in the face to face world it can go into the yeah. the virtual and and vice versa.
0: Brilliant. So what do you find, Richard, the, the most rewarding when it comes to bringing about organizational change? Because I would imagine changing anything is, is, is going to be hugely rewarding if you've supported in bringing it about. But is there anything in, in particular, or any examples that you might have of things that have felt really rewarding? There's a couple of things that, that stand out, actually. One is like when people
1: call you out on kind of violating one of the principles that you introduced to them. You're like oh hang on that doesn't seem to be yeah yeah he <laughs> like oh you're like cool you uh, you've now you've now passed you've graduated from yeah, yeah. because it's you know, we, there's different principles we talk about you know like default to transparency like you didn't share that in advance you know you, you didn't that was that was on your computer not in a shared document you didn't share the link like oh okay cool you are you are right and it's that call out because you know that someone has has taken it to heart and it's not somebody else telling them that, that you remember this. The other ones are like the reflections of people that have been doing stuff for a while and saying that this has changed my life, not just my my work. So one example would be we have this safe to try principle. People don't just use it at work. Like, is this idea, is this proposal, is this experiment safe to try? And they use it at work. That like we're going to buy a house and we need to remortgage the house, and like, is this safe to try for us? And they do it with their husbands or wives or partners and yeah. and children and stuff like. Well, that's that's cool because it isn't just about. Work. These these approaches can be used anywhere, really, as long as it's you know people feel you're a bit quirky and a bit strange, but that that's okay because it does it gets you at the right conversation. People are like, ah, oh, is it safe to? I, I'm not sure. I'm feeling uncomfortable with X, Y, Z. Okay, cool. Let's have a look at that. How do we make it safe to try? Oh, we can't afford a house that much. Let's bring the price down. Okay, now I feel, you know, take fifty thousand off the top price range. I feel more comfortable with that. Yeah. I think we can afford it. It's like, okay, cool. A lot of people don't don't communicate like that, making it really explicit and watching people just run with it and do it in their own their own ways is, is really really cool and then they like report back when you have a catch up with them it's like yeah i do it like this and i do that with my, oh, my mom it. and my dad and it's, yeah, it's yeah. just really funny like okay cool i unexpected tangential experiences that they they create
0: themselves no absolutely fantastic brilliant just to kind of finish finish up, Richard. I've I've loved the loved the conversation, and I think we'll we'll finish on. If you're happy, just to to talk a little bit about the Ready, maybe, and 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 yourself, and how you can support organisations. I know that obviously we've talked throughout this podcast around that. And the other thing I was going to ask is: is there anywhere that we can point people in the direction of more information on the Operating System Canvas? Because I know that it's a, a nice document that's downloadable that people can can look through as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. So the the Ready is yeah a future of work consulting company uh, they're doing you know, organizational design and, and transformation in the form of like workshops and advisory services and full-on transformation services so that's good for different sizes of organizations and scopes of work and what that entails is, is as you can imagine from the conversation all, all kinds of stuff so we would really we're really interested in speaking to people who are like passionate about changing the world of work changing mm. how they work not that we have all the answers of what you're supposed to be doing, but we can help with the how are you going to get there? How can you do that in a better way that less friction, more smoother, more human friendly, that type yeah. of thing? So uh, go to you know dot and uh, if I can plug another podcast on your podcast, the, really? the Ready Podcast yeah, is called the uh, Brave New Work Podcast on on you know Apple iTunes and any anywhere you get your podcasts from. And for me, look me up on, on LinkedIn, Richard Wood. That'd be good. And I'll, I'll share a link to the, an article that has the operating system canvas, which explains what it is and it gives you the, the ability to, to download. And that'll be on, that's a medium workspace that the ready has and has other articles and other interesting pieces that you know, people might want to have a look at.
0: Fantastic. Well, Richard Wood, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed speaking to you and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Richard. I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Me too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Psych for Business. For show notes, resources, and more, visit EvolveAssess.com.